Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary here live from our Duntire Studios. We are into hour two here of Sports Talk Saturday. And Corey Griswold's about to uh, dial up my man Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN is going to join us here in just a moment to help me preview Bills and Dolphins. And uh, just for the folks that are maybe tuning into the radio for the first time and haven't logged into Twitter or any social media or the internet yet, that is correct. You heard right, right at the beginning of Corey's Update there, you heard that uh, we were confirmed this afternoon, this earlier this morning, that Bill's safety, Micah Hyde, is in fact out for the season due to the neck injury he sustained last week against the Tennessee Titans. His agent is the one that confirmed that uh, this morning, which is just an unfortunate um, injury and an unfortunate thing for the Bills to lose what I really equate to as maybe the second or third most important player on this entire Bills roster. So, you know, thoughts and prayers are with Micah Hyde, hopefully, you know, the injury is not too serious, and he'll be able to uh, to come back unscathed next year. Uh, but for now, the Bills will be flying without their top safety duo. Uh, Jordan Poyer is also questionable for this Dolphins game. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting him to play. He was a limited participant yesterday, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that ends up going. But we're going to go to the Western Hotline now because my man Marcel Louis-Jacques joins me to talk Bills and Dolphins. Marcel, first and foremost, man, um, great to talk to you. It's been a while. Um, you covered this team. How big of a blow uh, is this Micah Hyde injury for just from knowing knowing them and and frankly just knowing what he means to the locker room? Look, it's massive, and I don't re- I really don't think you can overstate it. There aren't many players on that Bills roster who would have a bigger impact if they were forced to miss the entire season. Um, and the reason why is not necessarily just because of his individual talent but because of what his skill set combined with Jordan Poyer allows Buffalo to do. They are essentially interchangeable. You can't key on what their defense is doing based on where either one is lined up. Together, they take away the middle of the field. They attack and run support. They control the middle of the field. uh, It's a reason why they are the best safety duo in the National Football League. So it's an awful break. Uh, Feel bad for Micah, man. He was always one of my favorite players to cover, Um, you know, regardless of of teams i'll cover three teams micah is is you know top five favorite player to cover and work with um great guy hopefully he gets a speedy recovery here and there's no severe long-term damage but uh it's a big blow man it is a big blow but this is the reason why they kept jaquan johnson on the roster he's a guy that they've been excited about since his rookie season uh back in 2019 uh, personally i thought he was an heir apparent um, if one of Hyde or Poyer got too expensive and the Bills couldn't keep them, but they did a pretty good job. Oh, I think Jordan Poyer might say otherwise, but I think they've done a <laughs> decent job of shelling money out to make sure that both of them remain on roster. Either way, that doesn't change how I feel and how I think they feel about Jaquan Johnson. So, Marcel, let's transition into this matchup because obviously there's a lot of storylines. It's a doozy. Um, Before we get into that, though, I think the lead-up is important in talking about last week's game against the Baltimore Ravens. And obviously everyone has been talking about the second half that Tua had, and rightfully so. It was um, really the culmination of, you know, A, a guy that is far more comfortable. Um, And and it 
and confident, and it shows. And listen, if if there's one thing that a, a new head coach can do that has immediate payoff and re- immediate return on investment, it's doing little things to make sure your quarterback knows he has your support. And I think the first thing Mike McDaniel did when he walked in the door, and listen, it raised eyebrows. People kind of shaked it off and, and laughed off some of the comments he was making about Tua, but those were all very clearly, at least to me, Marcel, very strategic on the half of Mike McDaniel because early indications and early returns are that confidence, um, I think, really probably prompted that that explosion in the second half last week. Yeah, this is a this is a different it's a different Tua uh, than we've seen in years past. Um, and now I made a comment after the game that Tua is him and a lot of y'all need to apologize. Uh Bills fans, I like I like messing with y'all, just like y'all like messing with me. Uh, no, I don't think Tua is the guy in the NFL. That's not what that means. But he has a, he has a clutch gene. He has a clutch gene to him. Uh, some of his best numbers occur in the fourth quarter. And I don't care who is open. I don't care who you're throwing to. I don't care what the scheme of the defense is doing. You still have to make those plays. So in a vacuum, you know, maybe people aren't impressed with uh with beating busted coverages but when you take in the nuance and the context of the situation he had to play a perfect half of football to come down 21 he had to play a perfect fourth quarter to overcome a 21 point deficit and he did so granted he threw two awful interceptions in the first half those are the things that he needs to clean up moving forward but i think what what we saw on sunday is a guy who showed he has the ability to win a game for his team, that if they need him to throw the ball in order to win, that he can deliver. That's not something we saw last year, and it's definitely not something we saw during his rookie season in 2020. So it is a, uh, you know, a lot of the credit has been going to Tyreek Hill, deservedly so. He is one of the, if not the biggest home run hitter in the NFL. Everybody knew that when they traded for him. Jalen Waddle is not very far behind, but Mike McDaniel is a very smart person, not just a smart coach. He is a very smart person. That's the first thing, if you ask people who have played for him or coached with him, that's the first thing that they would tell you. He is a he's a genius, is what they say. I don't think he's getting enough credit for setting Baltimore up throughout the game to blow coverages in the fourth mm. quarter. When you see that, that first touchdown to Tyreek Hill, when you see Kyle Hamilton bite down on Jalen Waddle, it's because Jalen Waddle had 19 targets that game, a lot of them across the middle. He had been he had, he had been conditioned to think that's where the ball was going. And it's why he didn't take Tyreek Hill deep. I know Marcus Peters had a little bit of blame there too, but I mean, there's like, I'm saying there's a reason why guys were open. There's a reason why these two coverages busted, but those were also just two plays of the game to also completed 72% of his passes. I just, I think that his game deserves a little more respect than it has been getting. Uh, But I'm still, obviously we need to see it on a more consistent basis, including this Sunday against what's still going to be a tough bills opponent, regardless of what the injury report says. No doubt. And listen, I I think you, you, as a professional led me kind of into the next phase of my conversation with you is that consistency part. And I think if anybody in Miami fans alike and, and media alike want expert testimony on watching a player who had the highest of highs and also had some lowest of lows, find consistency in their game and actually become that franchise quarterback. It's you. You were here in Buffalo in 2020 and watched Josh Allen become that player where he had those high highs and those low lows, but it was finding the consistency that really really turned him into the MVP caliber player that he is now. And I think if you're looking at the at this Dolphins team and at Tua, and what you want to say is, and we were kind of, you know, jokingly doing a little math project, right? Saying, like, Tua played two of his eight quarters so far at an extremely high level. But if you, you know, bring that equation down, that's a quarter of his play so far this season has played at that high level. And I think... We're all probably acknowledging that it will be very hard to replicate down in, drive in, week in, week out, what he did in the second half of that game last week. There's going to be better defenses right now. The The Ravens through two weeks are the 32nd ranked pass defense in the league. They were that all of last year as well. So the sample size is big enough. But where he finds that consistency could be the reason that this Dolphins team is a playoff team this year. But overall, like, where do you think 
that consistency comes from into his game? Is it going to just be relying and doing the things that he did in that second half and and fixing the mistakes that he made early in that first half? And because frankly, Marcel, if Brian Flores is the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, do you think he's walking out of that tunnel in the second half playing football? Because after that interception, I think if this is a Brian Flores team, and knowing that the knowing the cord and how short it was with Brian Flores, I do really wonder if we didn't see Teddy Bridgewater in that second half. Well, this is a little bit off topic, but um, it, it, it kind of gives me a chance to address a, a popular narrative this offseason that Teddy Bridgewater is going to play at some point. Teddy Bridgewater was awful in training camp. I don't know, but that's all we ever reported, but for some reason, nobody paid attention. Teddy Bridgewater was awful in training camp. If Skylar Thompson wasn't a seventh-round rookie, he would have made the team over Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. So I don't think Teddy – I really don't think the leash is as short as a lot of people think it is. Teddy was not good and has not looked good for a long time. His contract is guaranteed, so they have kind of no choice but to keep him on the roster. Uh, but also, I mean, kind of unfair to, to Brian Flores, because to his credit, you know, they did beat the Ravens when they played the Ravens last year. So who knows if they would even be in that situation. Right. Uh, but I don't, I mean, they were getting chopped by Tennessee last year in a game that they needed to win in order to make the playoffs and to have played all four quarters mm-hmm. instead of going back to Jacoby Brissett. So I don't, I don't really think, I think we're a long ways removed from that 20, uh, what is it? The 2020 season where he got where yanked for Fitzy a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where he did that thing twice. It, it was, it was a weird decision then. And we're still feeling the ramifications for it now. Uh, which only proves how weird of a decision it is. But Brian right. Flores was not an offensive-minded coach. That staff was not a good staff offensively. Um, it's the reason why I kind of thought that I wasn't shocked. I was surprised, but I wasn't shocked that Flores was fired because they needed to move on from that offensive staff, and it would have been like the fourth in five years or the, the fourth in three years. Right. And you're scraping the barrel. So you had to start clean. But um, – Got a little off topic, but going on to uh, to Tua and his consistency and that confidence. I have said that this this marriage between McDaniel, Tua, Tyreek, Waddle, I have said that it, it, it going, it's going to work. I, I've refrained from saying Tua is going to be a top ten quarterback because I still need to see that. But I think that this thing works because of what they're asking Tua to do. Uh, regardless of the splashy plays that we saw last week, he's not necessarily being asked to stretch the field. He is being told, take it when it's there, but he's not being asked to just throw bombs to Tyreek all game, throw bombs to Waddle all game. They want quick rhythm passing in the short to intermediate part of the field where, love him or hate him, Tua is one of, if not the most accurate quarterback in the NFL over the past few seasons. Get your receivers the ball in that area of the field, and then they went and got guys who are excellent after the catch. Tyreek Hill, I don't need to tell you all how he is after the catch. Jalen Waddle same way even Cedric Wilson once he kind of starts getting a feel for this offense and heals up a bit is good after the catch that is yak yak is the you know it's a core foundation of this offense so I think his confidence is going to be sky high because he's just going to be throwing essentially he's hitting chip shots to Tyreek and Jalen all game and you get in a rhythm that way so that by the fourth quarter you're comfortable and you can start taking shots when necessary like we saw him do last Sunday. So, yeah, I, like, again, I, I think it works. Um, he's already a pretty confident person to what it is. And McDaniel and his staff are smart enough to ask him to do things that play to his strengths, unlike offensive staffs in the past. Marcel Louis-Jacques here of ESPN on the Western Hotline. We're previewing Bills and Dolphins. And, you know, I, I wonder how much – time you've been able to give to talking about the issues that this run game has had to start the season because of the second half. I, I get the feeling that a lot of the conversations around the struggles this run game has had to start to get going here this season has sort of taken a back seat. And I mean, rightfully so. There's a lot to talk about in that second half run game being very far down the list. But I want to say that I feel a little surprised because I felt like with Mike McDaniel, knowing that Shanahan running attack, knowing how much Shanahan and the that scheme really relies on having a successful running attack, and we know right now, listen, numbers suggest that you do not need to run the ball successfully to have a success in the play-action game. We know right now the Bills and Dolphins are two of the top teams in play-action. There's no 
I don't think there's any coincidence that their two quarterbacks are performing at the level that they are. Play action seems to really be the thing in the NFL that can take your your passing game to new heights. But I am surprised, Marcel, that they have not really at all found any strides in this running game through two games. Um, yeah, a couple points here. Uh, I'm not necessarily surprised because they struggled to run the ball all summer. And, you know, you, you could take it with a grain of salt during OTAs when, you know, everybody's in T-shirts and shorts. You take in a grain of salt when they first put the pads on because they're, they're still getting used to the physicality. But when you're two, three preseason games in and a month into training camp and they haven't run the ball effectively, something told us, like, all right, this is a, this is a real issue. Uh, so that's, I'm, not, I'm not shocked that they haven't. Uh, and I'm not honestly, I'm not even surprised that they haven't tried harder. Uh, they're not necessarily built to run the ball. They have decent runners. They've got okay offensive linemen, but the strength of this team is in, like I said before, that short passing game. You have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. What are you doing trying to run the ball 25 times a game? I think McDaniel is smart enough to realize that. Uh, they want the threat of a run, obviously. I don't think they want to be the most pass-friendly, pass-happy team in the NFL. Um, it's why you went out and signed Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert, who did look good. Uh, he looked like he had some bursts. He looked healthy finally. Uh, last week, I would expect him to start once again in Buffalo on Sunday against Buffalo. But I, I'm not shocked that they haven't run the ball effectively because it's something that they had struggled to do all offseason. Maybe it's because Raheem Mostert has been in and out of practice as he rehabs from that knee injury. Uh, maybe he is the best running back all along. We haven't gotten an extended look at him before Sunday. And, uh, again, he, he looks pretty healthy. But I'm, I'm not shocked. Uh, McDaniel's going to do – what he thinks the, is, is best for the team. And I know that sounds like Coach Speak Hall of Fame, but <laughs> it, it's not. You do, see, you do see often in the NFL, coaches just try to hammer, hammer, hammer what they want to do, what they want an offense to look like at the detriment of the team as a whole. But, uh, I mean, going back to even in Washington, uh, when he was on that staff with, with Kyle Shanahan and LaFleur and McVay, they drafted RG3. Not one of them had ever coached an RPO or any sort of option, read option offense before. They learned how over the course of that offseason, and then we saw what RG3 season was after that. That tells me from an early age, you know, from their formative years, as Daniel says it, they learned how to adapt that new rat pack in the NFL. So, uh, again, I think he's playing to, to Miami's strengths. I, you know, would expect the run game to improve a little bit over the course of the season, but this is not going to be San Francisco. Mm, that's a great point. Marcel Louis-Jacques here on the Western Hotline. Marcel, I want to ask you, too, um, you know, in your preparation this week about this Bills offense, and, and again, I want to lean on your experience here being on the beat for as long as you were and, and, and really getting a familiarity with Brian Dable and, and, and sort of the things he was doing here in Buffalo. And the one thing that I'll say <clears throat> before I kick it to you to kind of get your feedback on this is – I have noticed there's not really fundamental changes in this offense, Marcel. It's not like we're seeing new route combinations. We're seeing, you know, um, you know, di- different ways to skin the cat here. I, I, I think really for me, the biggest difference I've noticed this year um, in Ken Dorsey's offense is just the personnel groupings. It's so hard for defenses to get a beat on what the Bills are doing because they're throwing out a 22 personnel now. They're using Reggie Gilliam in the pass game. They're using Quentin Morris in the passing game. Um, and, and they haven't really gotten Dawson Knox off yet, which is, you know, I think a, a little bit surprising through two weeks. I would expect that to to start to evolve here as the, as the weeks come on but in your prep work this week what's the biggest thing maybe that you've seen that they're that they're maybe slightly tweaked or or it looks a little different from the Brian Dable offense that Josh Allen's been running over the first couple of years of his career again I, I like you said I really don't think there are foundational differences in here um, I am a, I'm pretty impressed with how comfortable Ken Dorsey looks as a play caller already uh, I'm impressed with his ability to maximize everybody in this offense even when they're not at full strength you know to to have for Josh Allen to have the game he did and that offense to look the way it did without Gabe Davis, I, I thought was major last week. It passed the major milestone. Uh, I love that, you know, every receiver kind of has to know how to play every position. It, again, it keeps defenses guessing, keeps them on their toes when you're able to move your chess pieces around like that. Uh, but really, man, and not to take anything away from them, but like if you're Ken Dorsey and you come into this offense, you come into, come into this position and you you see what this team has been able to do with Josh Allen at the helm over the past few years. 
why why would you try to change anything? Why would you try to why would you try to change or move away from that? You have a superstar quarterback who essentially if the ball is in his hands, the world is your oyster. You call whatever you want. This guy will make it happen. And then from his perspective, I've been I've been impressed with Josh's growth as a passer and a decision maker in that he is seems more willing to to take his chip shots. He's more willing to take his his chunk his chunk short games like we saw in week one. Uh, than he has in years past. And he's just looked so hyper-efficient and so accurate that, uh, you know, it's scary to think that he is able to move the ball like that even when he decides not to run. Just the threat of it is keeping, I think, Tennessee's defense shaking. So uh, kudos to Ken Dorsey. Absolutely. Kudos to Ken Dorsey. Kudos to to Joe Brady, who I don't know if outside of Buffalo people talk about enough. Like this was football's wunderkind like three years ago, and he is a QB coach for the Bills right now. So I, I don't know point. how many people are talking about that outside of Western New York, but every time I see him on the sideline, I'm like, oh, wow, that's right. I almost forgot. So, uh, but you know, kudos to everything they've been able to do. But the 17s on the field, man, it, it, you don't really have to do much up in the booth. So listen, this is a Miami Dolphins defense, Marcel, that we know wants the blitz it's just in their dna um knowing that the success that josh allen has had against this defense in this scheme and knowing the success overall josh allen has when teams want to blitz him and knowing that Xavier howard if he plays is not going to be 100 percent in this game and knowing that right now stefan diggs and everybody rightfully talking about waddle and and hill and their performances through two weeks and the numbers they Man, Diggs is right next to them, and all really all those major categories: yards, receptions, targets, touchdowns. Um, are they gonna do? How about this? I, I guess here's how I'll phrase the question: Should they want to change what they feel they do the best, who their identity is, just because of the success that Josh Allen has, or or do you believe that this is an organization right now under Mike McDaniel that says we know what the numbers say, but we also know who we are, and we're not going to change who we are? at least fundamentally, just because of this matchup? You know, there's, it's a good question because there's a, there's a fine line there, right, between saying, uh, you know, this is who we are versus this is what our heads say. Like, this is what we think is probably the smart thing to do. Because uh, you don't really want to change who you are philosophically just for one player. It, it almost, you know, it, I, I can hear the argument either way for whether it's a, it's a sign of strength or if it's a sign of weakness or sign that you're scared of, of an opponent. But uh, I, I think it's just hard to blitz Josh Allen, man. I think it's hard to blitz Josh Allen. Uh, I think they just got to stick to playing assignment football here. But I, if I had, man, if I had the answer on how to stop Josh Allen, <laughs> we probably wouldn't be having this conversation no, we right now, man. I'd be on the dang <laughs> sideline somewhere. <laughs> I love getting that question. This is like the third or fourth oh, time this week someone's asked me how to stop Josh Allen. I'm like, you think I know? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of NFL coaches getting paid millions of dollars that are still trying to figure that exact thing out. Yeah, like he is a cyborg golden retriever with a cannon for an arm, man. Like he's hard to stop. I, I was talking to Jalen Phillips in the locker room this week. He said it's war playing against Josh Allen. Every play is a battle. I usually don't like referencing football to you know war, but that just kind of shows you the level of respect yeah. that opponents have for him especially ones that see him more often than any other team, uh, you know, outside of the AFC East. So, I, man, I, I don't know. I like, But what I do know is, is the Dolphins are – they are blitzing fifth highest rate in the NFL, but uh, they have the fifth lowest sack rate in the NFL. Mm. Like, they're not, they're not necessarily getting home. They are facing a pretty fast time to throw, so I think offenses are kind of keying in on, hey – they're going to send pressure, so let's get the ball out fast. Um, and that probably explains why the sack rate is low because their pass rush win rate is a little, is slightly above average. And, you know, I can live with a low sack rate as long as you're winning your pass rushes because as we've seen in Buffalo over the past couple of years, I think I had a lengthy discussion with this about, you know, Jerry Hughes and, and company. Like, if you're winning your rushes, the sacks will come eventually. Like sacks are kind of a misleading stat. Agreed. Pressures are really more important, but sacks are are misleading and kind of overrated stat here. As long as you're winning your rushes and you're, you're forcing quarterbacks into quick decisions, 
I think I can live with the rest. Uh, so that is what remains to be seen. Uh, they did not necessarily put pressure on Lamar Jackson last week. Uh, he, you know, people are forget. People almost forget he did whatever he wanted for three quarters. Yeah, that's right. Uh, whatever he wanted for three quarters, and then I think he missed a couple throws there in the fourth for sure. And Miami's defense came up big on four downs, but uh, beyond that, I thought they they had Matt Jones in hell in week one. So, you know, we'll see if they can split the difference here uh, against Buffalo. The thing is, man, like the injury report uh, has been a pretty popular topic of conversation this week. They're not that injured on the offensive side of the ball. Correct me if right, I'm wrong. Right, right. So, like, it, it's, it's, it's got shootout potential here. It's got shootout potential here. But Miami's defense played Buffalo tough for at least a half of football uh, in each of last year's games. Uh, I, I, you can point out the final score all you want, mm-hmm. but I think what had happened is they played them tough. Somewhere around the third quarter realized we're getting zero offensive support, and that demoralizes you. Yep. It demoralizes 100%. you. 100%. When you got the, we got the Bills 3-3 at halftime, and your team is fumbling in the red zone, it, it's demoralizing. So uh, I'm not surprised to see the games. And the way they did, Buffalo's the better team. Good teams finish. But, um, you know, there is a precedent for Miami playing Buffalo tough defensively. No doubt about it. Marcel, one last thing before I let you go. Uh, Greg Rousseau makes his homecoming this week, uh, coming back to Miami where he uh, played at the U, and Jalen Phillips, his teammate, they never actually played together on the field at the same time. What a shame for the, for the U that those two never actually ended up playing at the same time. Man, both of those guys are really coming into their own. Yeah, that is uh, scary. Those are physically imposing people. Rousseau obviously looks like the tree from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He looks like Groot. <laughs> There's a reason he's got the nickname. Jalen Phillips is also like if you haven't been close to Jalen Phillips, you haven't seen him up close. He's not small. He's not undersized either. This man is massive as well. Both talented pass rushers. Yeah, the, the, you really could have used them because uh, that's a program that has been they they have had good players, but has really struggled to to break into that we're back territory. You know, just like Texas. Although I think Texas is closer than Miami is at this point. But, uh, Miami's got lots of dough, know, though, bro. Miami's got money. They got boosters. They also got Mario Cristobal, who's an excellent recruiter. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's they got a chance now. They got more of a chance than they've had in years past. But, yeah, then I'm, I'm excited to, from afar. I was excited from afar to see Greg Rousseau's uh, rookie season last year, you know, especially that uh, interception on oh, yeah. of, uh, Mahomes. Yeah. There, uh, I was, it, it was, you know, because I take a lot of pride in, in Gregor so being on the Buffalo Bills because I went on national That's TV a fact. and said that they would pick him. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> first, first one there. I had everybody shook, you know, talking Travis Etienne all summer as if that's what I really thought the Bills were going to do. Uh, if Don't Rousseau act like you weren't there. clutching your pearls making that pick, though, knowing you wanted Etienne. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will say this. I will say this. ETN was on their board. Oh, 100%. ETN was very high on their board. If Greg Rousseau wasn't there, I, I would be inclined to say Travis ETN, if he was on the board, would be a Buffalo Bill. It's a moot point because he went to Jacksonville earlier. But, you know, he was, he was very high on that list. I, that's really all I can say. He was very high on that list. I am not crazy. When I say things, I, I, I tend to know them. I'm not guessing. That's a fact, man. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the game Sunday. Looking forward to your trip back to Buffalo in a couple of months. And uh, I got some new spots lined up for us, so don't you worry. Looking forward to it, man. Enjoy the game tomorrow and uh, stay safe. And, uh, yeah, man, go Bills. I mean, I know you don't want to hear that, but go Bills. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good to talk to you, man. Uh, yeah, staying safe, man. That's uh, We got an actual hurricane coming. That's right. Next week, uh, I'm actually probably going to be out of town anyways. They're in, they're in Cincinnati for uh, Thursday night football. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, you know, it's a little harrowing to think about, but I have not seen any sort of panic from people out here, and I was told You won't. You won't, by the way. Until you see Floridians panic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Florida people, they, they're built different. They don't, like, uh, like, a snow, like a flurry, like a little snowstorm. Now that freaks people out, but, you know, hurricanes, that's just that's another Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Look, man, I, I, 
I, I should probably hit public today just in case. Yeah, you probably should. Get a bunch of water, get some, get TP. A, some dry yeah. goods. That's right. All that. And uh, yeah, but uh, I guess I got really lucky over the past year. This is the first uh, hurricane threat. We had a tropical storm here in, I think, June or May. And I'm not going to lie, man. Like, that was scary. That was a lot. Yeah, because you're high Imagine. up. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, I, not even high up. I had I had a friend in town, so he convinced me to come over to South Beach. He was, uh, you know, worked for an agency. He was with Jarvis Landry. So, yeah, come out with us. So I, I take an Uber out there. I'm going over the bridge as, like, I, I can't really tell the difference between bridge and ocean. And I was like, <laughs> I just made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I have made an awful mistake. My, my entire life I have lived making decisions like if this is the last decision I ever make, how would my mom react? Yeah, right. And she my would not have been happy about that. Bring the South Beach <laughs> to go do, to go hang out with Tanner and Jarvis that it, I was, uh, she might be, she might be ashamed. So uh, yeah, man, uh, either way, either way, the hurricane storms, it, it's no joke. Well, uh, let, you know, keep, keep, keep Morty safe. You know, he's not going to be happy about the storm. I'm sure the loud noises, uh, but as always, man, seriously appreciate you um, and stay safe. And we'll, uh, we'll chat soon, my friend. Absolutely, man. Take it easy. All right, man. That's Marcel Louis-Jacques there on the Western hotline. I'm going to take a timeout. Steven Ruiz is joining us next. We're talking from the national perspective, Bill's Dolphins. That's next year in WGR. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Sports Talk Saturday. By the way, that Ross Tucker segment every Thursday is friggin' must-listen radio. So make sure, you know, to tune in. If you missed any of last week's, it was an unbelievable interview. Uh, go back to our on-demand audio, WGR550.com, and check it out there. You could also check out this guy later on if you happen to be listening right now and it's not live and you're on the app or you're listening on demand. Steven Ruiz joins me now on our West Her Hotline. Steven, thanks so much, man, for joining me uh, and making time on your weekend. I, uh, I very much appreciate it, man. No problem. I came in on a, on a bad day. I have to admit, with like Not, a high down for the season. Yeah, yeah. it's it, definitely a tough day, no doubt, for Bills fans. And and frankly, you know, I think a lot of people here in Buffalo, there there are very, you know, listen, fans tend to have varying opinions on their favorite players and who's most important and, you know, so on and so forth. Don't get it twisted. Everybody here in Buffalo knows just how important Micah Hyde is to, to making that defense play the way that it does, particularly on the back end. It's a big blow and... He's really a fan favorite. I mean, uh, people really here in the city of Buffalo love that guy. Yeah, like going into this matchup with the Dolphins, and I know we'll get to it later, but that was the safety pairing was yep. a big deal for for me. Like looking at the game and what we saw happen in Baltimore on Sunday with the Ravens obviously busting a few coverages and losing that game as a result. I, I thought this was going to be a good test for both the Dolphins offense and the Bills defense, and now kind of watered down a little bit just because you don't have that. Like, you, like I don't know if – He's the most important player on the defense, but him and Poyer together in tandem are probably the most important facet of the defense. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and I think too, especially with like the the defense that Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier run, it's 
very reliant, and it's it's the one thing that can disguise having a sixth-round rookie starting at one corner and another sixth-round player in Dane Jackson starting at the other corner, right? I mean, that's that's how you sort of can disguise um, if you're, you know, whatever your level of confidence in either of those players are. When you've got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer on the backside, you, you tend to feel relatively good about whoever's playing in front of them. But, um, yeah, Stephen, like, I, I think the one area that, that I'm maybe most interested, at least with you, in, in starting to get into in this matchup is the Bills now have 20 straight victories. Their last 20 wins have come by 10 points or more. And I'm wondering, you know, we... I don't know what your thoughts are about the Titans team. That maybe that could be a separate conversation. I, 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 they lost a lot of pieces, and Ryan Tannehill's never really been that guy. And I think that you know last year was relatively random, and that's the beauty part, beautiful part about football. The randomness to it makes it so hard to predict, and that's why we love what we do. But overall, Stephen, like, do you get the sense that this game is is certainly has all the feelings of a shootout now, especially with Micah Hideout, but? If the Bills find a way to win this one, I, I feel fairly confident they will. Is this going to be a game where they stamp their 21st consecutive win by double digits? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and more importantly than like looking at the final result of these games, I think just how they've looked. Even if they didn't win the last game by, what was it, like 30 points? I think just watching how Josh Allen is operating at the line of scrimmage and handling that offense – even if they only win by like seven or 10, I'm still coming away from this game. If that continues the Josh Allen's maturity and how he's evolved as a quarterback before and after the snap, like I'm feeling good as a Buffalo fan, regardless of the result. If Josh Allen is playing like this, I don't care what happens for the rest of the season. Just get me to the playoffs and we're going to ride that guy for four games or three games. However long it takes. Steven, I'm glad you mentioned Allen and like the maturity and the difference that you see this year. And listen, like the thing you knew about Josh Allen, the thing that got him to where he is is the off script stuff. It's the ability to extend plays and and make throws on the run. And maybe you know Jalen Ramsey will tell you that that play in the fourth quarter, that touchdown to Stephon Diggs, where he's running 13 point whatever miles per hour and flicks his wrist and the ball goes 55 yards down the field. Um, those are the plays that you think you know Josh Allen for. But early on this season, he's got the, – the area that I'm most interested in and I may be most impressed in the development is he's become a an elite processor um, of defenses. And it starts to feel like he's in year five. And in year five, you start to feel like you've seen just about everything defenses are going to throw at you. And in that matchup, getting the ball out of your hands in under 2.3 seconds and last week, too, it just seems like now he's really rounded out his game. So if you want to do X, he has Z. And if you want to roll Z, he's got X to, to throw back in your face. And I think that rounding of his game is really where that next step was for Allen. I, I, again, I don't, I don't maybe want to build in here that I think we know what his ceiling is, but if now he can turn into the elite pocket passer – I'm wondering if there's still parts of that ceiling we haven't quite seen yet. Yeah, and I think actually this game coming up is a good test for him because so far through two weeks he's been doing the he's been making the underneath throws he's been getting rid of the ball quickly, but both the Titans and the Rams played so soft on defense and that's a result of of Josh Allen's arm right they don't want to give up the deep stuff, but I want to see it, how he operates like in this quick game against a team that's willing to press and I think the Dolphins are willing to press that's their their mo that's their brand of defense and they had the corners to do it so i, I want to see if he's still getting rid of the ball quickly against like man coverage tight man coverage and if he does then it's like okay there is no ceiling on this guy i don't know what to do with him if he's operating on this level like he can throw deep he can throw off play action he can throw from under center he can throw from the gun and get rid of the ball quickly he can hold on to the ball and make a play like what do you do with a thing like that and he's the size of a linebacker and runs a four four or whatever a four five <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about quarterbacks like this. I do know that if I'm a, uh, another team who doesn't have a quarterback like this, and I would say there's 29 other teams that don't, I'm trying really hard to find the next one that comes along. Yeah, and, and I think, too, the most interesting part about this matchup, and you mentioned the, the willingness for Miami to play that press man, I agree. And maybe this will be the most interesting point going into this game, is whether Xavier Howard is 100%. I don't think he will right. be. He was a limited participant this week at practice with a groin injury. You know, do you feel like if you're Mike McDaniel, if you are this Dolphins coaching staff, to go out there and say, we already don't have Byron Jones, and now we're going to rely on a 70-80% Xavier Howard, is it in our best interest to – and I asked this to Marcel Louis-Jacques, who covers the team for ESPN. I kind of asked him, like, 
Do you believe that this is the type of coaching staff that says, we know who the opponent is, but we know what we do, and we we are going to re- remain who we are despite you know Josh Allen's passing passer rating against you know press coverage and d- despite his passer rating against the blitz, we're still going to blitz and play man because that's who we are. Like is that is that a recipe for maybe the Dolphins to realize like early on in this game, like okay, yeah, we're going to have to try to figure out something that we don't do well, and we're going to have to try to go to that, or or do you believe that this is the kind of roster or this is the type of football team in in Miami that will kind of just blindly continue to do what they do? I think they're going to do what they do. And I think when you're a team like this on the rise and you're trying to make a statement against a divisional rival that's that's won some games and done some things the past few years, I think you kind of have the mentality where you want to beat them doing what you do best rather than losing a game where you try to go to plan B or plan C that you're not really good at. And if you look at the first two games and the Rams and the, the Titans played the soft coverage, it didn't really work. So I don't know why you would be confident Using that strategy going in against Josh Allen, the way he's playing right now, maybe if this was like week one, the last time he saw Josh Allen was last year when maybe he wasn't playing like this. But now that you've seen these first two weeks and he's playing like Peyton Manning, basically, I don't know if you want to play that that brand of defense. You know, though, I want to say that we haven't really seen the emergence of Dawson Knox and or Isaiah McKenzie yet. And if you followed along with Bill's Twitter and the Bill's beat at all, you'd know that Isaiah McKenzie was kind of the story of training camp. Like, is this guy that really stood out and was taking the next step in this offense? I got the sense if you're going to run press man, he's just going to run crossers down your throat, and Josh Allen's going to have the ability to – and that's maybe the one area of Allen's game that has impressed me, and it was on display in that game last year where Isaiah goes off for like 11 and 149 in a score against the, the Patriots. It's just like he's got every type of throw in his bag. And listen, when you are when you have a Jamarcus Russell arm, you get the sense that you have this arm arrogance that you're just going to make every throw. And Josh Allen absolutely has that. The thing that has been most interesting to me, and he's had this early on in his in his career, talking about like the game of golf and like being able to go to other clubs. Like you don't hit your pitching wedge like your driver, right? Like there's you want a different ball flight, you want a different level of spin, you want a little different, uh, you want more accuracy with those shorter clubs, and like. He has really so far, and that was the most displayed I've seen it, but even so far this year, the display of being able to manipulate his arm angle and manipulate the type of velocity and, and, and ball positioning, that's really kind of how a, a quarterback with his arm strength maybe bucks the trends of guys that just throw fastballs. Yeah, like I, I do my quarterback rankings on the ringer, and there's a category that I grade every quarterback in called arm talent. And like there are guys with strong arm like Trey Lance for instance sure. has a very strong arm and like in theory you would think his arm talent would be a 10 out of 10 but he can't change speed he can't throw a change up he only has the fastball he doesn't have a curveball he doesn't have a slider and I think that's the difference between Allen and a guy like Lance who like you said is just like a, he's a power pitcher he can't change speed and Allen has evolved past that and honestly like I don't think it was ever a problem for him there were times when he threw a fastball when he should have put some more touch on it. But he always seemed like a quarterback who was willing to do that, like willing to change speeds. I think he's just honed it better in the last couple of years. And like you said, this year it's just been – I mean, that's that's the thing with him. You could talk about the processing and all that, but the fact that he has an arm that's capable of getting the ball wherever it needs to be and he can get it up and over defenders and get it around defenders, that's what makes him so special. That's what makes the Bills' offense work because they can attack any part of the field that they want at any given moment. And there are only like four teams that can say that also. Uh, Steven Ruiz here of The Ringer on our Western Hotline talking Bills, Dolphins. And uh, kudos to us for fitting in two separate sports references right. in that right. uh, discussion right there of Josh Allen. But I want to trans- I want to transition because I do want to talk about the Dolphins here. But before we move to the Dolphins, last thing on the Bills, Ken Dorsey, through two games, um, I-, I said this to Marcel, like there has not been fundamental scheme change. There's no new route combinations. There is a an abundance of personnel usage, way more than we saw with Brian Dable and disguising pre to post snap. And, you know, I also want to maybe point out a trust and ownership in the offense from Josh Allen. There is a lot of check with me's. There is a lot of ownership in this offense from Josh Allen, but a lot of that is just the trust that Ken Dorsey has in him. Yeah, I, and I'm not surprised. Like, that was the talk going into the season. But going back to his time with the Panthers, I think he was – I, I don't think he was offensive coordinator. I think he was quarterback coach, yep. but that was like their MO was changing for uh, personnel, changing formations, playing with uh, formations within certain personnel groupings. 
And we're seeing that, and they have way better tools to do it. Like when you have a guy like Stefan Diggs, who you can put anywhere and you can trust him to win one-on-one, that just makes things so much easier. And then you add in the layer of having Allen who can do anything. Then you have a fullback who is very, very versatile and can catch a pass out in the flat and then turn it into a touchdown like we saw against the Titans. Like they just have so many options that I think offensive coordinators around the league are jealous of Ken Dorsey. But there are many guys that have had talent like sure. and haven't been able to put it together like he has. And through two weeks, it's been perfect. And I had question marks about him going in because he had never called plays. But he's passed every every test so far. Yeah, you know, and, and same with the current Panthers offensive coordinator. You know, Ben McAdoo, known for his creativity, no doubt about that. <laughs> Steven Ruiz on the Western Hotline here with me from the ringer. I got a couple more for him here. Um, so, Looking at the Dolphins and looking at Tua Tonga Viola, um, and through two weeks, and 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 Corey and I, not math guys, will never will never claim to be math guys, but you know, I, I look at through the first two games in eight quarters, two, I mean, really outstanding quarters of football. Um, how do you juggle the context of the game, the defense they were playing, the breakdowns and coverages we saw, the questionable schemes that they were throwing out, zero blitzes against Tua, um, just didn't make a lot of sense to me with the guys that he has at the wide receiver position. Like, How do you balance and juggle knowing that you do want to give the guy some credit for showing something that we've kind of that he has not really shown yet in this in his career, but also understanding like the Ravens aren't, you know, the eighty four, you know, they're 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 not they're not the the undefeated Bears defense, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it it's it's tough. Like you don't want to come off as like a hater, but when you watch the game and let's talk about the two D passes to Tyreek Hill. Was that something that we didn't think Tua could do before Sunday? Like hit a wide open deep ball, right? Right. With no one, like no, it isn't. And I think that's how people kind of overreact to individual performances. Like let's let's bring up the Panthers again. Let's bring up Baker Mayfield. Like last year, he he would have a bad game, a bad stretch, and people would be down on him. And then he'd have like a, one game where they just run play action all day. He, he averages twenty yards per attempt on play action, and and people are like, oh, Baker's back. And it's like, no, we knew he could do that. Right. And I think like eighty percent of his performance on Sunday was stuff that we already knew he could do. We knew he was accurate. We knew he could get rid of the ball. We knew if there was a clean pocket, he's going to get the ball to the receiver. I do think he deserves some credit because he made some tight window throws over the middle of the field that didn't get a lot of uh, a, a lot of attention. Those are plays that I didn't know he could do. But those are small plays. But the big plays that we look at, I, they, they don't move the needle for me. I mean, I think if any quarterback misses those throws, we make fun of them on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. We all dunk on them or we yep. all say, oh, what a bad miss. The fact that he make, made them, okay, good. Like, you have to make the throws. He gets credit for that. But I didn't change my opinion of him after Sunday's game. I think I'm with you. And and listen, I like again, it's it's the level of trying to balance like, hey – Yes, you made the throws, and those are important, and the throws were there to be made. Um, but it's the things that, you know, that there's still the questions out about Tua is when there's pressure. Can he create? And, and can mm-hmm. he can he extend a play and make a throw on the run? You know, we, I, I mean, to, right. Mike, to Mike McDaniel's credit, he's not running an offense where you're going to see a lot of naked boot action and asking Tua to roll to his right and flip his hips and throw across the field. That stuff's not going to happen because – you know, he can't do those things. So, you know, I do wonder, you know, the evolution of this Dolphins offense. Like, if I were to ask you today what this offense looks like and what that Dolphins team looks like by, like, week 10, week 12, you know, do you, are we kind of, I think, collectively overreacting and he'll likely regress back to closer to the mean? Or do you believe that Mike, the genius of Mike McDaniel and the brilliance of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell will probably allow him to, like, wade water higher to his ceiling. Uh, it's tough because, like, through seven quarters of the season, he wasn't, ha- he wasn't playing very well. Like, he had, the Dolphins had scored two, three touchdowns on the season. I think they only scored once against the Patriots. The second touchdown was a defensive score. Yep. So we're really banking on one quarter here, and that one quarter we saw two, like, 50-plus yard touchdowns pad the stats a little. So I don't even know if – like it's regression. I think it's just not if they don't play like that fourth quarter going forward, and they don't play a defense with busting coverages every other snap. Then I don't know if it's like something where we're talking about two as a top fifteen ten quarterback at the end of the year. I don't even know if there's a debate like there was with Jimmy G whether he's good or not. Sure. I think we have to wait and see before we can say that this is even going well yet. I do right. think like, there are early signs and flashes that Mike Daniel is doing a good job, but with two, it's still very hit or miss. 
To me, Stephen, like, I, I view this in the same light as I do Josh Allen, right? Because to me, it's less about when Josh Allen plays at his ceiling. Because when he plays at his ceiling, there's probably not a team, unless at the same time Patrick Mahomes is playing at a ceiling, I don't think there's another real, and, and probably Justin Herbert, too, are probably the only yeah. two quarterbacks in football that when they're at their ceiling can match punch for punch what Josh Allen does. To me, it's less about that. It's like... How good can the Bills be when Josh Allen's playing at his floor? And that's the thing with Tua is I think we saw the ceiling. The problem is that was the first time in two, two years and two games that we've seen a ceiling from, from Tua Tungabiola. And it's far more about when he plays at his floor, how competitive can that Dolphins offense really be? Yeah, and that's my big question because we, we haven't seen like a total disaster from Tua, but we've seen some plays that haven't looked real great. And if, like, we see more of those in one game, I think we're going to go back to the same questions we had before the season. Like, I'm thinking of the the, the very first throw of the season. It, there's, like, a bobble snap, yep. but he has time in the pocket. Tyreek Hill is wide open downfield, and he just throws it 10 yards short. Like, those plays have to be concerning. Elite NFL quarterbacks do not miss throws like that that poorly, and he's still doing it. And there are still plays where he panics and throws in the coverage. There are still plays where he, he'll – start getting happy feet in the pocket and take a bad sack and fumble. I don't think he's proven anything yet. I, maybe I'm in the minority there, but one quarter against Buster Covering and again, it's, it's not moving the needle for me. And by the way, Stephen, Tuanon would like you to know that that first pass of the season was tipped at the line of scrimmage. So I just stayed. I, look, look, I studied that tape and I watched it like the Zabruta film over and over again. That ball was not tipped. No, it wasn't. That ball was not tipped. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, sir, it was not. All right, Stephen, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for making time and, and being so generous with it on your weekend. I know you were on yesterday. We love you here at the station. You do great work. And we'll continue following along and uh, keep up the great work, man, and uh, enjoy the season. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know Buffalo loves me. They do. They're well. They're being you're being force fed down their throats, whether they like it or not. Yeah. So uh, they don't have a choice <laughs> in the matter. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> thanks, brother. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks. Stephen Ruiz there on our West her hotline. Going to take a time out on the other side. My man Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. He's also my co-host on the Food for Thought Podcast. They're both on Buffalo Rumley. He's going to join us next. We're going to keep talking about this Bills Dolphins matchup here on WGR. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.